So let me ask you a question. Have you ever ordered off the kids' menu? You guys have. I know. Um, Maybe today, afterwards, no pressure, parents or grandparents, but maybe today some parents and grandparents might be taking some of our choir members out for lunch to affirm their efforts. And they might end up at a restaurant somewhere, and they might end up at a restaurant, and there might be a a kids' menu, a, a kids' section. It might be on the board back behind the counter, or maybe it might be inside the menu, or it might even be like on a coloring page and use little crayons to figure out what they're going to eat. I know I'm making you hungry. I'm so sorry. I'm making everybody hungry, aren't I? Now, imagine, if you will, though, that one of the kids looks at the kids' menu, and they decide that they want the kids' flounder basket. And they say, hey, Mom and Dad, can I have the kids' flounder basket? And their mom and dad said, no, no, no. We got you the, the Eastern Brown Snake Sushi Rolls. That's what we got you. Yeah, those, those sound great, right? Or imagine that the kid looks at the kid's menu and they say, you know what? I think I want the Rudy Jr. plate with scrambled eggs. And their parents say, no, no, we got you the Melba Toast Sticks and a side of Brazilian Yellow Scorpion." Because nothing says yummy like Brazilian yellow scorpion, right? No, I think we would think that if parents ordered food like that for their kids, they definitely wouldn't be candidates for parent of the year, would they? One day Jesus was teaching his friends about prayer. And he gave them a model prayer. A prayer that they could use when they pray. But he didn't want it just to be a model. He actually wanted them to pray it. He wanted them to to do something with the model. And so he told them that when they pray, they need to ask, and they need to seek, and they need to knock. In other words, prayer is not just something where you mumble a few extra things when you're blessing your food. Prayer, and how the Bible talks about prayer, is something that's full of intentional conversation. It is active. You are in a relationship with God. Prayer involves praising God. It involves pleading with God. It involves being persistent, and it involves being patient. See, Jesus wanted his friends not just to think about praying. He wanted them to actually pray. And he didn't want them just to actually pray. He wanted them to understand who they were praying to. In Luke chapter 11, verse 11 and 12, this is what he says. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? And then he asked this, or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Yeah, I know, yeah. Can you imagine the disciples at this point going, whoa, man, Jesus, those are tough questions. You're going to have to give us a few minutes. I mean, we've got to think through those. And Bartholomew says, well, you know, what kind of snake are we talking about here? You know, that might influence my answer, you know. Is the fish, is it, is it fresh water or is it salt water, you know? Simon the Zealot says, hey, can we have a few minutes to to go online and and go on Wikipedia and look up scorpions? You know, we want to find out more about scorpions before we answer this question. No, they wouldn't do that. You know why? Because the answer is pretty obvious. No father would do this. No father, no loving father would do something like what Jesus describes. 
Some of you have heard me share before that when my kids were younger, maybe about 10 or 12 years ago, that I would make milkshakes several times a week sometimes. And man, my milkshakes were, were fantastic. You know, sometimes it might be like fudge swirl ice cream, and I'd put a, a big chunk of that in the blender, and then I'd take the, the chocolate syrup, and boy, I'd squeeze it all down in the blender. And, you know, and then, I'd, then I'd take the little Tupperware that had leftover vegetables from the night before, and I'd pour that in there too and, and, and blend that up. And yeah, I really did that. And I got away with it for years. <laughs> and then one day, I put all the milkshakes out there, and one of my kids said, Hey, Dad, what's, what's in this? What did you put in here? Now, that might have been my creative approach to the food pyramid. But the reality is, is a blender full of fudge swirl ice cream and finely blended English peas is much, 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 much different than me putting a live snake or a a live poisonous scorpion on the tray of their high chair, right? See, what Jesus does here is something really, really, really nice. He says something in a way that we don't have to figure out. He doesn't make it mild or strange or average. He makes it really, really, really clear. This is what Jesus doesn't say. What if one of you fathers had a son who asked him to bring him home chicken McNuggets for dinner? And instead of chicken McNuggets, you brought him chicken McCluckers from the heated lamp section at the gas station. Yeah, ew. The reality is he may not like the McCluckers, but he's still getting processed chicken one way or the other, right? So Jesus didn't give an example like that. Jesus said there's no way that a loving father, when their child asked them for food, would put something dangerous in front of them. He wouldn't put something poisonous in front of him. So the answer to his questions are obvious. No way would any father do this. And since the answer is obvious, Jesus goes on, and this is what he says. He says, if you then being evil, whoa, hang on a second, Jesus. Who who you call an evil here? Well, if you are a parent, as a parent, let me just kind of offend all of us for a moment. If you're a parent, as a parent, let me let you know that you are failing as a parent. You have failed as a parent. You will fail as a parent. How do I know that? Because we're sinners. Because it's impossible for us to get everything right. I'm pretty confident that I'm failing in at least five to ten ways right now as a parent. There's, just, there's things I'm coming up short on because I'm, I'm sinful and I'm weak and I, I can't be all that I'd love to be. There's things I need to repent of. There's things I need to change. If you're a parent and you think, hey, I've always done it right, that's how you failed as a parent. Because instead of modeling humility and thankfulness to your kids, you have modeled pride. And so there's a couple of ways that we can respond to this notion of, of failing as a parent. The first would be to wave our hands in the air like we just don't care about parenting. And act like the parenting doesn't matter and it doesn't matter what we've done. And hey, it's no big deal, right? For at least about the last 4,000 years, we have been in a culture of passive parenting. Yes, I did say 4,000 years. See, our first parents all the way back to the garden started this process of blame shifting of passing the buck, of of not taking responsibility. In fact, many parents, including many in the church, 
feel like their only responsibility is just to put clothes on the back and food on the table and and keep the extracurricular activities going and, and take a good vacation and do nice things on the weekend. But the real investment of parental guidance, the mentoring of a child, those are things that far often we just say, well, hey, let's let the TV take care of that. Hey, let's just... Let's just let their friends take care of that. Hey, let's let the school take care of that. Let's let the sports team take care of that. Let's let the music club or the science club or the honors club, let let them do that. Let's let the preschool minister or the children's minister or the youth minister, let's let them do that. Hey, let's just let them Google how to parent themselves. And then we don't even have to do anything. That's much of how our culture has approached parenting. So one way to deal with failing as parents is to say, hey, Nobody's perfect. I did the best I could. Maybe you did the best you could. If you are a Christian and you are a parent, then you should be talking to your child about the gospel. Not just taking them to church. Not just making an appointment for them to meet with the pastor. Not sliding a gospel tract in their suitcase before they leave for college. But on a regular basis, you should be communicating to your child that their most desperate need is to be right with God. In a few hours, we'll be having a service for Bill West. That's exactly what his son Fred told me moments after his father died. This man told me my most desperate need was for God. So we need to be communicating that. It needs to be something that's part of our conversation. Letting our children know their most desperate need is to be right with God. And the only way that they can be right with God is through the life and death and resurrection and love of Jesus Christ. And because that's true and because that's clear, Jesus just continues the conversation. Look what he says. I'm sorry, that's not Jesus, that's Rick Thomas, forget that part. The second way that you could possibly deal with failing as a parent is to do this. Oh, it's all my fault. You know, the whiny blame approach. This is what Rick Thomas says about the whiny blame approach. If you're tempted to rehearse what you did wrong as a parent, then I call you to repentance because we've all messed up. The person who over-focuses on where they messed up and wallows in regret has a small view of God. What does it mean to have a small view of God? It means that the gospel's not that big of a deal to you. Here's what that sounds like. Thomas goes on. The gospel declares you cannot do it. That's why I came. You are a failure. This news should not cause discouragement, but a recalibration of your sight lines. Look to the cross. Only in me do you have hope. If you keep looking at yourself, then you will be discouraged because you will never be able to do what I can do. If you need to do better, then do better. But never believe your good works will change a person. And the gospel says, will you trust me now? See, if your response to failing as a parent is is a a foolish, prideful response or, or foolish apathy or a foolish pity party, then let today be January 1st for you. Just just make a a New Year's, new life resolution today. April 10th is your start over point, and you are no longer going to do that. You're going to repent, and you're going to start trusting God. 
And you're going to start recalibrating your sights. And you're going to fix your eyes on the cross. You're going to fix your eyes on Jesus. And you're going to help your kids. And you're going to help your grandkids fix their eyes on Jesus as well. See, the picture that Jesus is giving us about what it means to know him and love him is pretty clear. And so he continues. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We're going to unpack this verse, Lord willing, a lot more next Sunday. But the picture here is pretty simple, right? The picture is this. Earthly fathers know how to give good gifts. And earthly fathers, Jesus says, are evil. (laughs) Whoa, what does that mean? I mean, earthly fathers are demonic? No. What it means is this. That even a bad, wicked criminal earthly dad knows that it's a pretty good thing to get your kid a bike for Christmas. Even a a lazy, disconnected, irresponsible earthly dad knows that it's a a good thing to to get a cake for your kid on their birthday. It means that even a, a passive, prideful, responsible dad knows that a a Coke and a smile is is good every now and then to give to your kid. And so Jesus looks at his friends and he says, if your earthly dads who will mess up, who will sin, who will say the wrong thing sometimes and do the wrong thing sometimes and think the wrong thing sometimes, your earthly dad that might completely ignore you, your earthly dad who might expect way too much of you, if those earthly dads know how to give good gifts, then don't you think your heavenly Father, the one who created everything that exists, the one who created you, don't you think he knows how to give gifts that are a little better than just good? Don't you think your heavenly Father knows how to listen to your prayers? Don't you think your heavenly Father knows how to answer your prayers with perfection and love? There's a story told about a dad who was putting his little boy to bed one night. And they went through their normal routine. You know, they, they read a bedtime story, and, and then the little boy said his nighttime prayers, you know, out loud, and prayed for everybody and the fish and the dog and the grass outside. And then the little boy asked his dad a hundred questions on everything else in the world. And then he said, Dad, can I have one more hug? Can you tell me goodnight one more time? And that happened like seven times. And then eventually the dad slipped out and got to go down and after a long day, sit in his lazy boy and just chill out. About five minutes goes by, and he hears from down the hall, Daddy, can I have a drink of water? <laughs> the dad says, no, son, you had a drink right before you went to bed. and I go to sleep. About five more minutes goes by. Daddy, can, can I have a, a drink of water? No, son, you already had a drink. It's it's time to go to sleep. Now now go to bed. About five more minutes goes by. Daddy, can I please have a drink of water? Dad said, look, son, I've told you no twice. I don't want to hear anything out of you. If I do, I'm going to have to come back there and spank you. Silence. About two minutes goes by. Daddy, when you come back here to spank me, can you bring me a drink of water? 
You see, in that moment, that dad realized how desperately his little boy wanted some water. (laughs) One day, Jesus was talking to a woman who was trying to get some water. And this is what he said to her. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. See, that woman's most desperate need was not a drink of water. See, your most desperate need is not some good bottled spring water. Your most desperate need is not the kid's flounder basket, although I'm sure it tastes good. Your most desperate need is not an education. Your most desperate need is not a new car. It's not a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's not a husband. It's not a wife. It's not a job. It's not a career. Your most desperate need is not a celebrity autograph. Your most desperate need is not a green jacket. Your most desperate need is not a break on your taxes. Your most desperate need is the water that only Jesus can give. You see, the reason God is the perfect heavenly Father And he's the perfect gift giver from heaven to us. It's because he knows the gift that you most desperately need, and he's given it to you. He has given his own son to die on the cross for your sin so that you might be saved, so that you might have eternal life. You see, without Jesus Christ, you will be thirsty. Your soul will thirst today, and you'll never be satisfied. But with Jesus Christ, your soul will no longer thirst. Your soul will be perfectly satisfied. And that's why we say to you, please come to Jesus. Please come to Jesus. Not just for today, but so that you will be ready. Because one day, one day, Jesus is coming again.